Yow! I'm Mike. I'm Steve. And we're the most average people of all time looking to level up to the people who inspire us. The purpose of this podcast is to expose our insecurities, document getting over them, and give you a game plan to do the same. Welcome to Growth Spurt. What's what? up, guys? Um, yeah, so today's our yesterday's challenge was improv comedy. Uh, this is actually something you found uh, with Sarah Blakely Instagram post. Yeah, Sarah Blakely's uh, the richest self-made female in the United States. And she's also married to Jesse Itzler. We'll have some Jesse Itzler uh, challenges coming up pretty soon. But before she uh, started Spanx, she actually tried for a little bit to become a stand-up comedian. And on Instagram, she posted about – it's a video of her first time on stage with a complete set. And as CEO, she challenged all of her employees to work with a comedy coach. They rented out the Improv in Atlanta. I think that's the name. That might be wrong. And they all had to put on a comedy routine. She thinks it's a great way to get over being embarrassed, putting yourself out there. She she believed that uh, comedy is a great way to be successful in business. You need a little bit of humor to get through those meetings and whatever else. So we kind of took that idea and decided to go to the city and take a two-hour improv comedy class. Yeah, I think it was a good idea for us because obviously there's a lot of insecurity around putting ourselves like out there. Yeah, public uh, speaking. Yeah, we really felt that the improv comedy class would test a lot of those insecurities. Um, you know, so what were kind of your expectations going in? Yeah, going in, I I didn't have, I really didn't know what to expect. So I was I was sitting there and we you know we walked from Penn Station and it wasn't it wasn't really on that walk that I was nervous, scared, thinking, oh, this is going to be the worst thing ever. I didn't know what to expect. So kind of went in there a little bit cocky, kind of went in there thinking like, oh, this, this is going to be tough, but I don't really know how tough. And I feel like I can handle it right now. Yeah. It's kind of funny. Like on our, on our walk to the homeless was like the entire anxious part of the whole thing was like walking around. We were like having a blast on the way to the the comedy. Yeah. Yesterday we decided to add another kind of challenge to the challenge. And we, uh, Trying to see how many high random high fives we could get from people in the city. Yeah. And I mean that was making me more nervous at the time than the comedy class was. <laughs> yeah, it's funny and it made like the walk like so much faster. Yeah. Um yeah, I didn't have I didn't have really any nerves and like I was telling you, you know, before maybe yesterday or whatever, usually all the nerves comes from like the anticipation of things. Yeah. Where and then it's like you get into the moment and you're like, Oh, this this is this is no problem. It's usually on the the front side of it where I'm feeling all that stress and anxiety. In this case, I didn't feel any of that leading up to it, which was like a different feeling for me. Yeah, for sure. And, and again, I think it was partly you know we knew that we were taking this two hour comedy class, but that was really all we knew. We didn't know what type of people were going to be there. We didn't know if this was going to be actors, people training to become actors, or if this was going to be tourists who. Oh, you're in New York. There's comedy clubs. I'm gonna go take a class at a comedy club. We didn't know if it was gonna be more corporate or fun or what. What were the dynamics behind this? We really had no idea. So it's hard to get nervous about something that. What's going on here? Yeah, there was a lot of unknown. Um, yeah, so we just kind of walked in. It was uh, on Fifty Second Ave in the city. Went to it was named Broadway Comedy Club. Uh, walked in and met Walter, who was the, you know, the the head of this one. Um, do you remember the the company name? Um, I, don't know. I could look it up. It's uh, improv something, something, something. Um, yeah, so first meeting him, it was just kind of like walking into like a dark, small room. There's like eight or ten people in there. You know, kind of yeah. what were you feeling initially when you walked in? I had no – there was like random kids sitting everywhere. Yeah, the kids threw me all over the had He had donuts. He had coffee. He was obsessed with the donuts and coffee. He made about four comments about donuts and coffee. Yeah. It was just, it was a weird vibe. And you got in and no one was really friendly with one another. Like you learned later on that they kind of had been going there. But when we initially walked in, none of them seemed like they were anywhere. Like they, it just seemed like no one was really sure of the situation. Yeah. Everyone was sitting at their own tables. It was just like a dark room and everyone was kind of just, I don't know. Yeah. But I, I did think Walter did a good job of 
at least, you know, immediately walking in saying, hey, hello, how are you? Introducing, like, so we didn't just feel like we're walking into, like, oh. Yeah, he made you feel welcomed. He made you feel, feel like you were in the place that you were supposed to be. Yeah, so the the comedy club had probably a few levels, maybe maybe three levels. Uh, once we kind of just got over the introductions, um, we all just gathered together and went down into the basement. Um, the basement had a stage with good lighting, and then it was almost like you, you like a cafeteria style setting where it's like long tables and just like a bunch of chairs. Yeah, and there were a bunch of tables too. Yeah, like it looked like it's it's not. I guess they do shows there. Yeah, but it it it's not. You didn't get the feeling of a show in there. You got the feeling of a cafeteria with the stage, like you said. It was that table situation was a little off. Yeah, so we went in. We kind of all just found our seat, uh, kind of just waiting for everybody to any last few people coming in. Uh, once we were settled in, I think Walter started us out with some icebreakers. Um, yeah. What was your kind of? And those icebreakers required us to go on stage. So kind of talk about some of your emotions, like walking onto the stage to start the icebreakers. Yeah, I was kind of sitting in those chairs, just blank, just not knowing what to expect, just chilling at my chair. And then he's like, all right, we're going to get up on stage and we're going to do these icebreakers. And that's when like I felt it inside. It was kind of that first time, like, oh, here we go. And it was like, oh, we're taking part with this right away. So stepping up on that stage, I remember like everyone was going to the sides and it was maybe an eight inch high step to get up to the stage. And I was like, oh, maybe I got to go around to the side. Like I already started playing those stories in my head. Like, what do I do here? Yeah. Rather than just like stepping up on stage and getting up there. Then you're kind of standing up there with your arms crossed and you know, you were kind of feeling some nerves to start off. Yeah. And just to backtrack. Yeah. I think stepping on stage was the first point of that whole situation where we finally started feeling some anxiety and like some nerves um, and then to go to your point about like what you're doing on stage body language wise it's always funny when you're nervous and stuff you start to cue in on like what you're doing with your hands yeah. I know me specifically it's like I try to avoid keeping my hands out of my pockets but I naturally do it sometimes yeah. but then my hands are just hanging by my side yeah. and I'm like oh this is probably not good either and you just don't know what to do with your arms and yeah. like it's just like an uncomfortable it's like uh, that uh, um Will Farrell and uh, the race car one where he's like, what do I do with my hands? Yeah. And also the 19 spotlights on shining on. Yeah, it was like, the brightest light I've ever been in in my life. It doesn't help. It almost like symbols like you're the putting a spotlight on like your insecurity and you're like being uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, so we get into um, the icebreakers. The first one that we played was Zip Zap Zoop. Yeah, that's probably one of the first, yeah. Yeah, so the the goal of this game was you kind of send your energy to someone. So if I make eye contact with you and I'm the first one to go, I would go zip. That person would take that energy, make eye contact with someone else and say zoop. Yeah. Then the person would say zap and it got going around the room where everyone's zip, zap, zooping. And not just us, but the entire class was terrible at that game. Yeah, you're uh... – it was so easy to get out of order. I think the the purpose of the game was to stay in order. So if I said zip, you're supposed to say zap, and then the other person says it's up. But then it would just be like zap, zip, zap at the zap, end of the zap. game. Like it's yeah. just it got a. But again, it's just like you're doing something with your hands. You're producing energy, so it's like a good way to just kind of move around and get the get the blood flowing a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Like it got your hands out of your pocket, and it you started to. Get into the game rather than in your head. You yeah. started to find your place in the room, kind of. Yeah, and then I would say one of the next games, or it was within the first three, was like a name game. So it was just kind of like a fun fact about yourself and then going in the circle. Yeah. Um, and one thing I noticed about myself is the first two people to my left, I didn't remember their names right away because... I was like still thinking about what I was saying and like those kind of things. I was so focused on what I'm trying to say that I didn't really listen to a lot of the people. Yeah, and you're definitely better with names because we've been, you know, recapping what we did. I still don't know anybody's name. And like I keep describing them rather than saying their name. I still, so I was in my head the entire time. I know what you're saying. Literally no names. The only reason I was like I remember the names is because I'm consciously trying to work on that. Yeah. And even after the first two that I missed, I like reintroduced myself to make sure I remembered. And then from the third person on to you, it's like, all right, I remembered everyone's name. And then I kind of like it kind of stuck. Um, I don't know. For whatever reason, it's just a goal of mine to like try to like remember names. But yeah. if you're not cued in on it and you're not focusing, it's so easy to get in your own head and just not even 
you say hi i'm mike oh nice to meet you and yeah. the name's gone yeah i'm trying to remember my name not learn your name yeah but that's a it's a good it's a good game to we did like i don't know if i said this but said a little fun fact about each other yeah um i went with like just like i've never been outside the country and then you went more of a a, a funny route with the yeah Jango. i said that i was undefeated in Jenga lifetime just kind of got a good reaction. Yeah, got some laughs. I wanted to get some laughs early to kind of get myself in the game. Yeah, hundred percent. Then uh, we went to uh, the ball game, or no? I think the sentence game, right? Or was that which sentence one? game? Might be one. Yeah. Yeah. So how did that even work? So you, the first one we did, Walter, the main guy, would say a word, and then you had to say a word with yeah. it and make a sentence out of yeah, it. Yeah. So just kind of create a story word by word. That. I, I mean, out of the icebreakers, that was probably the easiest for me. And one thing I noticed about me is uh, you were saying, maybe not as much as me, but you were saying a lot of like the small words, like the two, the thes, and all that. But Walter would always come up with a word that kind of gave the meat and potatoes of the sentence. But then that set me up just to say the two, the thes, yeah, the yeah. ends. And that's all I was saying the whole time. Like I didn't actually have to say a word. Yeah. And then Crosby, the guy, or the guy next to me, he would say like a like an actual word that yeah it kind of got in a rhythm where you always were saying the same thing yeah. the people were either picking words that you know meat and potatoes or you were sitting there just da and a yeah i was doing that a lot i noticed yeah and then the last game was the ball game which was maybe the most instructive game of everything that we did there and yeah it definitely required some like energy too to think about what you're doing and everything yeah so uh just to explain their game briefly you came up with these imaginary balls and each ball had a size and a color and the size could not be changed and the color could not be changed so when you'd pass it the first ball's orange say it's orange it's about the size of a basketball if i throw it to steve he's got to catch a ball that's the size of a basketball that's the orange ball and I would have to start the conversation by saying, this is an orange ball. Steve, here's an orange ball. And I'd make a throwing motion or, across the room and you would say, yeah, thank you, orange ball. Thank you, orange ball. And then I got to find eye contact with someone else and then throw it to them and say, here's an orange ball. And they repeat it. And then, and then it, how it spiraled in and got more difficult is Walter would continue to add in new balls. And the balls all had different colors and different sizes. So there was a white ball that was the size of, you know, we both had talked about it. I, I visualized like a white marble. You visualized ping a ping pong ball. But again, you'd have to catch and throw that ball based on whatever size it was. So there was nothing being thrown around, but in your head you had to keep the image of four different colored balls and different sized balls. Yeah, and it's funny. It's like the, the another ball was uh, it's called like big black ball. And it's funny you throw that ball and the reactions of people when you throw it is like, oh, you just like your yeah. body lowers. Yeah, and, yeah. Like, you're trying to get your legs involved. Yeah, like imagine catching a bowling ball. You yeah. naturally like go down to the motion. Yeah, so I, I thought that this is something that, you know, most – I struggle with with visualization and stuff, so it's easy, simple games for me to work on those types of things. A hundred percent. It cute. It it helps. So you literally felt like you were in a room throwing around balls, like yeah. every time. Oh, here's an orange ball. You'd be like staring in the air and you'd be watching an orange ball come to you, and there was nothing there. Yeah. So to dial back into the emotion going up on stage before the icebreakers, super anxious, super unsure of what's going to happen. Uh, and then doing those games, I think, was really good because you kind of had to get outside your head a little bit on some of them, and you're just kind of, again, reacting more of, like, what we like. Uh, I think I got more comfortable. I don't know where you're at. Yeah, you went from stress standing on the stage to kind of like a playful playing. Yeah. You know, you, you were like a kid. You are just like, oh, here's the ball. We both like to compete. We both like to always play games and do these things, and it kind of just gets you out of your head, and you're like, all right, where's that ball at? Let's throw that ball. Let's do that. It, it was easy. It Again, like you went from super discomfortable, super discomfortable, super uncomfortable to super comfortable Yeah, pretty quickly in five minutes or so. Yeah, he did a good job of, I mean, obviously it's an icebreaker and he did a good job of making you feel comfortable pretty early. Um, so I think maybe we had one or one game we missed in there, but that pretty much wraps up the icebreakers. And then he's like, all right, let's all get off stage. Um, you got off stage and you felt pretty decent sitting back down. 
you felt kind of good. Yeah. Uh, Until he described the next game. And then he, <laughs> yeah, and then he got into the next game. And it's like, all right, we're right back yeah. to. Uh, <laughs> Can I leave now? <laughs> we're right back to super uncomfortable, palm sweating. Yeah. Uh, so what? The next game was the barn, right? Yeah, the barn. So again, this is. We went from to make it more uncomfortable. We're going from a group game where everyone's involved, everyone's playing together, to now everyone's watching and there's one individual on stage. Yeah, so we're all in the audience. Walter, this this was a pantomiming game, which if you think of a mime, yeah, he kind of explained to us how a mime creates a scenario and you can visualize it in your mind. So they put themselves in the box and based on their movements and whatever they're doing, you start to visualize the box and really like believe that they're in the box. We kind of played that role, not in a box, but we created this imaginary barn and everyone's movements without words were used to create this barn i guess for everyone to see yeah so he uh yeah he asked the question you know what what scenario do you want to be put in we all just someone randomly threw out the word barn and we kind of all agreed on it um and then he's like all right who's the first volunteer someone and maybe it was like elon one of the guys just said okay i'll go first you walk to the side of the stage and you're on the stage and now you got to pretend that you're at the doors of the barn uh and that's where the scene starts yeah so you're creating the door, this door that he created, it had a top lever. So you pulled the lever on the top and opened that up. And then it had a door that swung from right to left. Mm-hmm. So you, everybody who went up to the barn from now on had to open the door the same exact way and, and kind of walk in to this barn that was being created. Yeah. And it's, uh, it sounds super easy when you're just kind of talking it through. Uh, but when you think about having to slow yourself down and you can't speak so everything has to be expressed through your body language so you got to slow yourself down you're doing things more like directly you're using your hands more it's a lot of different movements that you're not necessarily used to yeah you you have to one of the big uh, topics that kept coming up and one of the big you know things to improve on was weight and thinking about the weight of doing these things so if you were shoveling hay or you were opening a door, how heavy would that be? And how could you sell that to the audience that that's what you're doing? So you can't just like go up and like whip your way through it. You had to think about how heavy is this door? What's underneath the door? How is it gonna move? And kind of think of every scenario because you had to create that scenario for everyone in the audience. Yeah. Yeah, so the first person pretty much had freedom. He, he decided exactly what the barn was gonna look like. Uh, what what he anything was going to happen he he decided so he opened the big door and what did he do we had a horse so it was pretty clear early on that there was a horse stable in the center stage he he went to the back corner and he grabs a shovel off the wall and starts shoveling hay in the middle of the barn so that kind of set the scene right away that we have a horse in the front we have some sort of tool area in the back and we have hay all in the middle. Yeah, and, and uh, I think we talked about this after the the class. It's funny what you visualize, like what you decide to make of it. And I was talking about how like the Fortnite game, I was thinking of the barn in yeah. a video game where you're thinking of something totally different. All It's all the same thing. It's a barn, but it's funny how you visualize yeah, it. Yeah, it's kind of whatever mental image you have around a barn in your head, that's kind of what you were seeing up there on stage. You know, whether it's in movies, video games, what you've seen in real life, you get to decide like what that visual is. Yeah, it's but you always went back to the same place. So what was there, eight or nine people in the class? Right. So eight or nine people go up into this barn, and every time they went up into that barn, I saw the same exact barn. I didn't see – it wasn't like it was switching barn to barn. It was like uh, it was like a real area. Super weird. So I, I want to kind of talk about uh, mindset around this game. So – my mindset going in, I kind of wanted to volunteer fairly early in the game because it was one of those where it's like you don't want your idea to be taken and then yeah. you're like, oh, shit, what am I going to do now? Yeah. So I wanted to get in there early, like maybe within the first half to make sure that my idea is probably going to work out. Yeah. Whereas like I think your mindset was more of like, well, let's see if he doesn't make all of us do it and I'll just kind of cancel out this one. Yeah, it was a little bit of that and it was also a little bit of, I want to see where everyone else is making mistakes so I can pick up on their mistakes and like add it to mine. Yeah. Like I wanted to kind of learn the skill as I was sitting there because if I were to go up early, I knew that I, I knew nothing of what I was going to do. 
So I was like, let me like at least get a few pointers where if he says like, hey, do this, I'll be like, all right, at least I'll do that. So I'll get something correct. Yeah, it's not a bad play because after everyone got off stage, we would discuss it and Walter would give feedback. So, yeah. and he was giving valuable feedback. He wasn't like mean about it, but he was like giving you suggestions to improve it. Yeah. So it's probably not a bad play to get six or seven uh, people getting feedback and then you can kind of leverage that. Yeah, it helped. It definitely helped. Because, you know, he would make, after the first guy went, he's like, yeah, make the motions a little slower. Be a little more specific with your motions. So then in my head when I'm up there, I'm thinking, all right, let's move slower than you feel comfortable. Let's be specific with our motions. I kind of just like incorporated it as I went and figured, for me, that helps me not feel not be in my head. Because yeah. I, I have specific things to think about. When I'm thinking about those things, I'm not thinking about, oh, man, I suck right now. I'm thinking, all right, do this. You know, it directs my energy a little bit. Yeah, so I would say I was probably, what, like third or fourth? Yeah. Maybe fourth. Yeah. So there's maybe two or three people ahead of me. So they've already established some things like a shovel, like a stall, some hay. Uh, I was brainstorming some ideas before going up, and my idea was maybe uh, a sponge in a, a tub of water. I was going to wash the horse, and then I had another idea of a paint can and a paintbrush, and I was going to, like, paint the, the stalls like it needed some painting. So I got up there, went to the back corner where one of the – uh, people before me put the shovel and my idea was to do the tub of water and sponge and then I realized after I did it that I grabbed it like the paint can yeah. <laughs> and then took the sponge yeah and so I was combining like both of them and it made no sense after I would, but yeah. in, in the moment I'm like yeah this is perfect so I pull <laughs> up like a paint can and I had a sponge I put the can right in front of the horse did the motion of like squeegeeing out the sponge, yeah, which seemed to work for a lot of the people yeah, in the audience. The, yeah, that was a good idea. Uh, I thought that was the easiest way to kind of explain what I was doing. And then I just kind of pet the horse. Realized now too, after his feedback and all that, I was literally the most robotic thing ever. Yeah. I wasn't like going with the muscles of the horse at all. Yeah. I was just doing like straight paths. Um, and then after that, because I com combined both of my ideas, I got back and I was at the center of the stage and I almost just like, I just blanked. I'm yeah. like, what am I doing here? Yeah. And I walked to like the other edge of the barn and I'm like, I'm out of ideas. And I like broke my mind and said, oh, I'm done. Yeah. And I kind of walked off stage and it felt like kind of like a failure. And they're, everyone in the audience is like, you could have just played that off easily. Even yeah. Walter's saying you could have played that off easy. There's no reason for you to have said anything. Yeah. And that was... That was definitely a like, learning experience. Yeah, it kind of gets back to being in your head versus like what's actually going on. Because in your head, you were in that spot where, man, I look like an idiot right now. Or, man, I'm lost or I'm confused. And everyone else was just like, what is he going to do? Like we were sitting in the crowd going, what's next? Like why is he going to that corner? And you were there like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, I asked, I asked you after, like after the class is over. You're like, yeah, I had no idea you were confused. We just thought you were mad at the job like the, yeah. my facial expressions like maybe i was there 30 years and i'm just like so tired of this job yeah so it's an interesting perspective because up there i'm like under the lights like this is yeah. i feel so out of place right now yeah just it, yeah yeah i went up uh second to last and there had been a running theme in the in everyone going up there because everyone kept creating a new door the you're supposed to open the door in that specific way. No one could remember how to open it. I think everyone was pretty new at it, so it just wasn't flowing properly. So I came up with the idea of going into the back of the barn, grabbing a toolbox, grabbing a screwdriver, and just unscrewing the door and getting rid of it. So that was my scene. Um, yeah, but I think you're selling it short a little bit. It was pretty funny. You unscrewed the you unscrewed the doors. You showed like getting all three hinges off the door, and then you pretend to pick up the door and just throw it out of the yeah. <laughs> out of the fucking barn, and everyone laughed. Like everyone thought it was a good idea because, like you said, you're second to last, yeah. and I don't think anybody opened the door the same way as the first person. Yeah. So it was a good idea to just get the door out of there. Yeah. So I I enjoyed it. Like I said, uh, that was definitely the one that taught me the most. I think in the entire all the games, I felt like that was a new new skill that we learned. Rather than, it was a little bit getting over the insecurities, but there was definitely like a skill component there where I appreciated acting a lot more than I had in the past. Yeah, it kind of puts light on some of the books I read, how 
body language is 80, 90, maybe even 94% mm-hmm. body language and only really, you know, 10%, let's say, of what you're actually saying. I think miming does a good job of forcing you to use that 90% and use that body language to express a message. Yeah, and even just um, we, we talk a lot about visualization, how we're both not very good at it. Having going through that little exercise and seeing how weight's important and how you really have to expand on the details so that it becomes real in your mind. If I were to visualize today for say a golf tournament or anything else, I'm going to go through that process totally different than I would have before this class. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting. My just natural default face was reading to the audience that I didn't like that. I hated my life kind of deal. Yeah. That's a good point. Uh, and I think that's an interesting thing as we get into more video content, yeah. how important facial expression is going to be. Yeah, and there was definitely a uh, a running theme that if a guy was smiling or had like a big facial expression, the performance was always better. Yeah. It always made the performance better. Yeah, so Tom Bilyeu, Impact Theory, he I listen to him a ton, and he talks about how he has natural resting bitch face. Yeah. So his face doesn't represent anything he's feeling on the inside. So he says he has to force like almost a half smile or a grin as much as he can throughout interviews or whatever content he's trying to produce. And it's good to be self-aware of that because I may have that as well. Yeah. Maybe you have it in times, I don't know. But I know for me, I can look like mean almost in, in a lot of ways yeah. when it's I couldn't be happier on the inside. Yeah, it's like, 100%. what are you projecting? So it's good to get self-aware around that and this was an easy activity to do that. Yeah. Definitely. So then uh, we went into the next activity. Was that freeze tag next? Yeah, I think it was freeze tag, yeah. So uh, the game is freeze tag. Now everyone's back up on stage. It's not one person there. So everyone's on stage facing outward towards the cafeteria tables. Yeah, lined up against the wall. Shoulder to shoulder. And two people go out and you have the freedom to act out pretty much whatever you want to act out. I think Walter like said at least uh, gave an idea to start, right? Probably. Yeah, you had to pretty much identify who you were and the place that you were immediately. Yeah. And that seems okay. to be a running theme in acting from what we see from one class. Right. You know, the, the who and the where are very important. So most people will go out and they'd start first. Who started? Uh, what's his name again? Back to not knowing names. Crosby. Yeah, so Crosby starts and... They set up a grocery store scene yeah, where he literally just starts talking. He goes, hey, honey, they have pancake mix or whatever he went into. Yeah. So now you know that it's a husband and a wife in a grocery store. Yeah, to kind of touch on Crosby, uh, one thing we noticed about him is you would say the most obnoxious, random things. But they work so well because he delivered it in a way that worked for us like – it's what we realize in improv is there's not a lot of limits around what you say as long as you commit to what you're doing. Yeah, if you if you full send it and you you get some high projection, you get some body movement, and you just it looks like you trust it. It's hilarious. It was I would say almost every time he spoke, it was something funny. It, I was like, this is excellent. Yeah, and it made no sense. Like at one point, he was yelling down a manhole and freeze tag and just yelling, but. I don't even know what it was about, but it was hilarious. So I think that's a good takeaway from that too is when I think about freeze tag, I actually didn't even remember the grocery store scene. Like I didn't know how it started. Yeah. I mean, it's good that you remembered to kind of set the the stage of what we were doing. But what I always remember is the emotion I felt around what was happening. Yeah. And with like Crosby, for example, I always remember like smiling or laughing at what he's saying. And I think that's an important takeaway is it's a lot of the how you feel with the words as opposed to the actual words. Yeah, definitely. If I said, oh, we're going to, oh, honey, there's pancake mix, but I say it in my normal default voice, yeah. that wouldn't even have registered. Yeah, he was uh, he was literally like screaming to the ceiling. Yeah. And it looked real, you know? Again, yeah, you really like, got character. Uh, yeah, again, like back to the bar thing, you kind of put your, you were kind of in a grocery store and there was these two people in front of you. It was weird. It was I would say you were pretty early on that game because I think we were still in the grocery store at the time with Andrea, and you pretty much jumped in, and uh, I think you no, got to the no. point. No, I, you came in later. We were still in the grocery store. No, we weren't. I turned oh. it back into the grocery store. Oh. So I think an important point, we both kind of sat on the side here for 
I don't know how long it was, but if the game was ten minute, five minutes long, we definitely sat out that first minute. And there was plenty of role changes. People started coming in twice. And we were just kind of sitting on the edge, like, where do we fit in here? And for me, I know it was like, I don't really have to volunteer here because eventually I'm going to have to. But at this moment, I don't really have to volunteer here. So I was like, I'm comfortable on the side here. Like, it's the same thing. I'm going to learn what they're doing here. I'm also going to kind of stay in. It's the same play as I did with the barn. Yeah, to just touch on one of the insecurities that definitely this attacked was fear of mistakes. Yeah. We were thinking, all right, I'm only going to say freeze if this perfectly makes sense instead of saying freeze and just like committing to something. Yeah. And when you froze the game, so it's two people acting out a scene, you could come in, you had to assume the position that they were in, and then you could take it wherever you wanted to go. So at first you could be in a grocery store talking to your wife and the scene was that he was leaving for the military and she was pregnant. Someone yells freeze, comes in, and say she's touching her belly or he's touching her belly. The new person comes in, hand on the belly, and it could be like, wow, honey, you're getting fat and we're in Alaska. Right. Like you could come up with whatever you wanted to come up with. Yeah. That's, that's going to be a great t-shirt too. But <laughs> so you go into that and scene to scene. So the scenes didn't have to make sense. You just had to have an idea based on the position that the bodies were in. Yeah. So, you know, another scene I just remember is they're like kind of ones on the knee and ones kind of over their shoulder. And I don't remember what the scene was, but someone froze one person, got into that position, and then they were like in a wrestling match yeah, kind of deal. Yeah. And then you went down on one knee and asked the girl to marry you. Yeah, yeah. And then someone came in, someone froze that scene, came in, sat on your knee and said, Santa, I'd like yeah. a, a toy car for Christmas. So now you were Santa. You went from proposing to being Santa. Yeah. And that's just kind of how the game played out. And it was probably one of the more fun games because you could put your idea into action and it just had to make sense to the position. It didn't have to make sense to what was going on. So there was a lot of freedom there to do whatever you wanted to do. There's a very small amount of rules to that game. Yeah. And it really allows you to kind of open up your creative. Yeah, definitely. And I think if you like played that game for – another 10 minutes or 15 minutes it's amazing where that game could really lead and like how much more confidence you're just going to start saying freeze and uh this kind of reminded me of something that walter said get into your five-year-old brain as quickly as possible yeah if five-year-olds played that game it would be endless and no one everyone would say freeze it would be like all of them saying freeze at once and like you have to decide which one's going to go in where it's like i hope someone says freeze here because you know yeah you let the five-year-old the five-year-old lets his mind wander wherever it's going to go and they kind of just say it and they can act out whereas he made a point that once you reach junior high you start thinking externally about oh what are people going to think about this if i wear this what's the reaction going to be and he said like that young five-year-old is just sitting there in the moment playing they're playing their game and they're just enjoying the moment. Yeah, I thought that was a I thought that was a good point. Um, yeah, so overall that game, I liked. I really liked the barn, and I agree with you. I think that was probably one of the more valuable games, like skill wise, as like yeah. an actor or a communicator. But from a fun standpoint, free sag was definitely up there. I thought yeah. that was a fun game, but also super uncomfortable. Yeah, it was definitely. It's fun looking back like that. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. But in the moment, you're trying to think of when I can freeze and like you're thinking a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I ended up getting stuck out there where people were freezing and they always took the other person out of the game. So it literally went four changes and I, I was in there with four different people. I was just looking at you like, dude, get me out of here. Yeah. Like, what's going on? Like, I don't want to be here right now. And like you said, like it's easy to look back now. Dude, that game was so much fun. Remember when he yelled down the manhole? But when we were out there, I was like shaking. Yeah, it's funny. I remember you looking like, oh my god, why is no one taking me out? And yeah. I was like thinking, I'm trying to save you, but I just had I didn't have anything in my mind to like get you out. Yeah, I had my for one freeze. I had my hand out. And I looked at my hand, and my hand was full jitters, <laughs> like it was going. And I was like, oh my god, get me out of here. Yeah, it's funny. I would say these games, besides the barn, because you gotta go individual. But most of the games maybe last two, three minutes, but they're like, wow, this is the longest three minutes of my life. Oh, yeah. Yeah, nothing even uh, – it's probably a good transition in the final game with uh... – And I would just say before we get into that brief point is uh, there was no concept of time for me there. Oh, no, me neither. Even like thinking about it now, we were there for two hours. It felt like 30 – like – Yeah, I don't know if these games were five minutes or 20 minutes. 
like I said, I, the games could have been. I'm thinking they're three minutes and they're feeling like forever. They could have been ten minutes. Yeah. I have no idea, but they there was no idea of like oh we just did five minutes worth of games. Yeah, it could have been twenty, could be three. I would have no idea. I was so dialed into. Yeah, and there was good flow to everything too. You never you once you got once we played those icebreakers, you were in it for the whole two hours. Then the two hours was up, and it was like what just happened. I know you said you were super tired after and whatever else, and it was like. The focus level was extremely high in there. Yeah, even the barn game, you're in the audience, which is a quote-unquote like safe place to be. Yeah. But you're still going through the motions of, well, what am I going to do? Until I got my turnover, that was probably the only time of the day that I could maybe kind of relax and just enjoy yeah. the barn part of the game. Yeah, because as someone in the audience for that barn game, you have to remember where everything is. You can't go in there now and where there was a shovel, put a hose. Right. Like the hose was in the back right, the shovel's in the back left. That has to remain the same. So in my head in that even, I was like sitting there like, oh, I hope I remember where all this stuff is. Yeah. So it was tough. What was the final game? The final game was... The 2-2, right? Yeah. it's uh, There's two chairs on the side of the stage, and there's two people who have to come up with a scene. The audience did. The audience came up with the scene. Well, yeah. The audience comes up with two random words, and then the two people in the middle have to come up with... The scene based around those two words. So some of the two words were... I think I was first, right, in that game? I think so. Yeah, so it was me and uh, Jack. Yeah. And our scene was... Remote snake. Remote snake, yeah. So uh, the teacher would ask, what are things that you used to bring to show and tell in middle school? People would say, a remote, a snake. And they'd be like, all right, remote snake. And that was the scene. You could take it wherever you want. The two people on the side, as the two people in the middle are going through their story, making their jokes, whatever else, you could point to a person on the side and they give you one random word. And you usually do it like, and then we went to, and then they fill in that Grocery store. Yeah. To the grocery store. And you kind of play the scene there. I would say that now that I'm thinking about this and talking about it, this was the most challenging task for me. Yeah. I struggled with this one. Yeah. It was tough. Well, back to that timeline, this, this felt like the longest you were on stage. If they were all three minutes, this was the longest three minutes. And it's uh, it's trying to use the people in the chair as assistants. If you're not thinking of an idea, it's like, all right, I'm struggling here. Let me come up with a random sentence, and then they fill in a word. But then usually the words are like so disastrous that oh, I don't even know where to go with this. Yeah. Uh, so it wasn't it wasn't an easy game to execute. No, not at all. And and it kind of it was a good. Uh, conclusion to the whole day because it kind of brought every skill that you learned into one activity so you had to act it with the body you had to sell it to the audience with your motion and then you had to have the words and the funny things that were coming out as well yeah to kind of give a visual i looked at the day as a like a graph that you're you're skyrocketing up and you're kind of getting low and getting more and more comfortable and as soon as you feel like you're in a comfortable position Walter would ramp it back up again so you're, yeah. so you're uncomfortable again and it would kind of taper off like that again and then ramp back up. I think he did a good job of testing you within your limits. Like if, yeah. like you said, if we did that two-person challenge right from the jump. Yeah, the scaling was properly done. Yeah, he did a good job of warming you up and getting to where you need to be to handle each one. Yeah, he kind of built your level as you were going along. Like, you know, you went through the icebreakers. You got that little bit of confidence like you're talking about, but you had confidence and maybe a little bit more skill to take on the barn challenge. Then you get through the barn challenge, you have a little bit more confidence. Now you have this new skill of, oh, this is how important it is to be detailed. This is how important it is to do X, Y, and Z. Now let's add that to the freeze tag game. So it was good. Good teacher. Yeah, so I thought that was good. Um, so we ended that We ended that challenge. I think he did a good job of making sure everybody got a turn too. Yeah. And it's a, it's almost like you don't you in the moment you're like okay if you don't get a a turn you're like oh thank God but like it was a good job on his part to make sure he essentially forced you to get the value out of the hundred percent of the class you know uh, I think something that's going to be a running theme through this whole podcast is that you actually have to do the things that you're thinking about you can't think your way out of fear you can't think your way into confidence and just as like a short side note. We also had a plan yesterday to go to Toastmasters in the afternoon, and we went to this two-hour Toastmasters class. But being guests, I don't know, it doesn't really matter, but we were guests in the Toastmasters class, and essentially we sat there for two hours. Didn't do a single thing, didn't give a speech, didn't get up and talk. 
and we both took away zero value from that two hours. Yeah, the only opportunity that guests had a chance, they had table topics, which essentially is uh, they allowed 15 of the 60 people that they're in the room. Uh, you would go up there, you put your name on the board, and then the Toastmaster or the official would uh, say a random question, and you had to do a two-minute speech off the cuff based on that topic. And uh, I remember the first 10, I just kind of let go, or maybe first uh, eight, and then I tried to start raising my hand to try to get it because I knew, like you were saying, the only way I'm going to get any value out of this Toastmasters yeah. is if I do this table topics because me listening to you do a speech, there's no value gained from that. Yeah. Because it's 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 weird. It's like everybody sucks at public speaking in here and we're trying to give you feedback about being a good yeah. public speaker, but we're a shitty public speaker. Yeah, yeah. So how are we going to give you any valuable feedback besides just like, you know, normal observation? Yeah. And I mean – that time schedule and everything else they're like a yeah so it was it was two hours and if if the both of us maybe got our table topics in that two minute off the off the cuff speech i think we would have came out of it in a different mindset yeah but the fact that we didn't speak and do anything the value between improv and and toastmasters wasn't even a question it wasn't even close the the improv served as two hours of practice no theory Get up there, make big mistakes, which we'll come back to later on. And and I don't know if I if I said this already. Um, we came into the improv class like it was going to be a one and done. You yeah. just do the one challenge and like okay, that's we did it. And we came out of improv thinking like. Man, we can make this into a monthly thing. Or if we did 52 weeks worth of improv classes, that alone would change our lives. Yeah. It was that much value. Um, yeah, yeah. Yesterday, there was a, definitely a big component in terms of a challenge, getting over the insecurity of just getting yourself in the class, like what to expect. Man, we suck at acting. What are we going to do here? But going forward, there's a big opportunity to learn valuable skills that'll help with public speaking that'll help with all these things there'll always be that insecurity component because you got to go up there and you got to present some sort of acting project whatever you want to call it but going forward learning those skills that's like another side of these challenges that maybe we didn't even know about going in yeah so if we went back i think if we went back for a second time I don't think that it's going to be dramatically less challenging. I think it's going to still be very challenging. But now that we have it under our belt, we can focus on some of the things that we didn't do well in the past. Now we can start focusing on some of the skills of becoming a good public speaker because we crack that fear. Yeah. I think the first initial phase is just like cracking the fear. There's no expectation. And I don't think there should be expectation of being good for a long time in improv comedy because it's a very difficult thing to do. Yeah. But since you cracked that fear, now it's like you can go in up for the second time and you can focus on some things you need to improve on. Yeah, cracking that fear gives you the opportunity to learn skill now. Whereas it's very hard to learn skill on that first day. But if you keep saying no to everything... You never even get the opportunity to learn the skills. You got to get through that fear. Whatever happens on that first day, it happens. Now you can kind of work your way through getting better. Just fits for our mindset too because you do the task and you get immediate feedback and you're getting that hindsight for the next time. It's like, all right, I did this task. I got this feedback. I could prove here. I did well here. I go back again and it and now I improved on the things I improved on. Now I'm getting additional feedback because I raised my level. So now he's giving feedback to that level. Yeah. And it's just going to continue to compound. Definitely. And he uh he made a good point. So one of, you know, we're kind of getting into the takeaways here anyway, so we might as well just keep going with that. Um he talked about some Google study and Google studied trying to make the perfect team to have the most successful team and they didn't know if the number one indicator that would correlate would be strength of personnel on the team you know resources uh money available things like this what google ended up finding was that how did he word it the ability to make mistakes or safe space to make mistakes something like that yeah i don't remember as much other google that was something you retained more than i did um yeah the biggest thing that i remember is just failing big yeah big mistakes it was I don't remember as much of what he talked about with Google. The the Google thing, he the, the conclusion was that your team had your back. That that was the conclusion that he came to. If you if you felt like your team had your back and you guys were working together to achieve the project, 
everyone was much more open yeah. to putting out their ideas, being creative, and the best ideas always won because you guys were working towards a common goal as a team. And no one felt like, oh, if I make a mistake, they're going to put me down. They're going to, you know, get me out of the community. That, so that support level. Yeah, and that really leads into one of the biggest uh, takeaways was the yes and principle. Uh, he said that if you say no, it shuts it down immediately. But if you if you say yes, it opens up to opens up opportunities that you may not see right away. Yeah, I don't know if you what kind of takeaways you got from the yes end, but I thought that was a simple way of putting it. But it's very powerful. Yeah, the way he described it was the the yes. Basically, if you say yes, the whole world is an opportunity for you, because by saying no, you or go or even more specific, going down a specific path. Like if you're up on stage and. You have this idea for the story and in your head you're just working through this one idea, this one idea, keep going down that same path. Then as soon as that guy on the side changes the story, you're not able to react. You're not able to think on your feet. You're not able to kind of do the things you need to do to make the story still flow because you're on that one path. You're saying no to everything and really there's only one opportunity for you. If you were to say yes and just keep an open mind and someone throws out dead bunnies, now you can roll with dead bunnies. Whereas if you were just thinking about how the story started with Pop-Tarts or whatever else, right. you have no chance. Yeah, and I think how that really relates to our life is we have a lot of structure with our habits on a weekly basis. And I think that's extremely important. But when it comes to the podcast, we got to be like water and be able to flow with things. If we get If we get feedback from some listeners or we get feedback from another podcast, whatever it is, we got to be able to like adapt and adjust to that. Like the plan in the beginning is always good to have, but you always have to be able to adapt. 100%. And that, that kind of speaks to the big mistakes as well that he talked about. You know, you want to fail big. You want to put your mistakes out there because then they're easy to correct. If you, if you keep the mistakes inside you, you can make 10 small mistakes. But if you made that one big mistake, those 10 mistakes are kind of included in that one big mistakes and you, you iterate a lot quicker. Yeah, and I think you kind of touched on it. Uh, I just kind of want to say it in in my own words with the in the corporate world i think where the improv comedy becomes so valuable is that principle of everybody has your back you're reacting and feeding off the whole group around you and if you think about a simple corporate meeting there's probably 30 40 percent of the people that are not willing to say their ideas because they're worried about the superior or the boss saying wow that's really dumb yeah and if you just had that space, that free space to fail big, say whatever you want. There's probably even the low end junior level people at the company probably have some valuable ideas that if it was a safe space to be expressed, there would be a lot of more productivity. Yeah, you just never know where those good ideas are going to come from. So if you give everybody the opportunity, I mean, we've all had dumb ideas. And one of the main things we're trying to get over in this is dumb ideas. Like, we take our dumb ideas and we look at them like, man, that's so stupid. I can't be making that mistake. Whereas if you just get it out there, no one really cares anyways. Just get it out, get it over with. And and it usually leads to something else, yeah. which leads to something else, which eventually becomes a decent idea. Yeah. But if you don't say that bad idea or you don't act on that bad idea, it may not lead to the good one. Yeah. And that was kind of another thing. If you If you made a mistake, like how he said, don't break the fourth wall. If you made a mistake and just kept going, no one realizes anyway. So in life, like you could kind of overlay that to life. And if you make a mistake, just keep going. Don't get down on yourself. Don't be like, oh, I'm such an idiot on this. Just keep going. Make the mistakes. Keep going. Yeah. Overall, I was just say it was a cool perspective to have. I would have never thought that improv comedy could be fit into the corporate world so seamlessly. Like how much impact and value improv comedy could have. And it's a good uh, good thing to think about what areas of your life are you not looking, what skills are you not acquiring in this particular way that could help in yeah. another area of your life. Improv comedy was never on our radar before you saw that post. Yeah. But now we're realizing that the, the principles of improv comedy translates to so many different areas. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And it, another thing is kind of how Tim Ferriss talks about the Pareto principle in the 80-20. If you can find these skills that branch out into everything, those are kind of the skills you want to work on first and then learn the specifics later on. Right now we can work on improv comedy. We can work on visualization. We can work on how we speak. We can work on how we present an idea. We can work on 
how we communicate in general. You get all those. That helps everything you're going to do going forward. And overall, I think the reason it resonated in improv comedy is it was it was fun. Yeah. Toastmasters, you're learning some skills like you are in in uh, you're learning the skills that you're learning in improv. But it was so boring to acquiring those skills. It's like I don't want to do this. But improv, we were having we we're having laughs, we we're having a good time, and you're working on those skills, and it doesn't feel like work. Yeah. And it's like where in every area of your life can you find some fun while working on skills? Which like goes to this podcast how we're. We're going through this process today. We spent about four hours writing down, you know, just things that ideas we had, trying to get some structure around what we're doing, trying to come up with an intro. It's all work, but it never felt like work because it is fun. And I think in the past we've tried to do things where it's like, oh, let's sell T-shirts online. And you look at that and we're both like, yeah, let's do it. It sounds like a great thing if you're making 100K, 100K a month selling T-shirts. Oh, all you got to do is come up with a T-shirt and send it. That's awesome. But – Literally, that idea lasts for four hours, and you're like, all right, I'm done with this. Yeah, a lot of our ideas in the past sounded good in the moment because we're after the result, whereas the major change with this podcast is we're after the journey. Yeah. We're after the day-to-day as opposed to the year or two from now where, oh, yeah, we can go to Argentina and spend six months. Like, yeah, that's still a goal of ours, and that would be yeah. fun to do, but in the past with our ideas we didn't enjoy the, we didn't enjoy the process of getting to that end result yeah whereas and, now we are yeah and learning learning the skills and everything else so uh, I think the the simplest way to kind of wrap up this podcast is if you're dealing with if you're dealing with any insecurities around like social anxiety public speaking fear of mistakes fear of failure in general these are definitely some that some of those that we deal with on a day-to-day basis Improv comedy was the most underrated, like... Yeah, speech class of all time. It's it's just jam-packed with value. I mean, you're going to go there and do a two-hour class, and you're going to be like, wow, that was probably the best way I've ever spent a Saturday afternoon in the last few years or whatever the case may be. Yeah, and if you, like, contrast that to, like, public speaking in college, I feel like you learn just as much doing this as you would in your public speaking course in college, but this is a lot better way of doing it. Yeah, and one thing I find interesting is we were so uncomfortable in that improv class, but we're like jacked up to go back. Yeah, here. yeah. Where you do a speech in Toastmasters, you're not necessarily jacked to go back no, and do it again. No, there, there, there's definitely, uh, it's definitely going to be happening on a pretty regular basis going forward. Yeah, so... Just to kind of to kind of wrap it up, just face challenge, experience growth. Like that's that's what we're about right now. That's what we're working on, and uh, I think improv. Uh, the overall theme today is we we recommend it. It's definitely provided a lot of value for us. Hundred percent. Cheers. Yeah. Spur. Spur.